I encourage you to take out your outline if you would. Today we have a very important topic to deal with, uh, something that uh, my wife and I personally have been dealing with over the last decade with our son who is gay and has turned into that lifestyle. And um, as I think about these issues that are facing the church, we don't delve directly into the political realm, but as those things intersect with the word of God and affect us, the church is to be the moral compass of our society, our community, and we want to speak to those issues. And I don't know about you, but as I look around, I think about how God said in his word that everything is done decently and in order. And one of the things that Satan is really doing is bringing disorder into our lives and uncertainty and constant change. And you wonder, you know, where is that rock, that foundation that we're standing on? So today we're going to talk about God's design for humanity and marriage. And I encourage you, if you want to look on our app, Pleasant View Baptist Church, if you have it, if you want the blanks already filled in, it's there. But uh, we encourage you to take out your outline. So I want you to think about this headline. We're not going to talk much about this headline, but I want to frame this whole issue uh, as we think about it. A headline in the Daily Mail this week, a transgendered man became pregnant after a one-night stand on a gay dating app, and he says that the experience, quote, felt like one of the most masculine things, end of quote, he's ever done. We could spend 10 minutes just unpacking that one thing, and we're not going to talk about it. But why I bring that up is this is what we are faced in our culture on a daily basis. And um, if we're honest, we, we are beginning to see more and more people and running into more and more people in our workplace or other ways that are involved in this LBGTQ plus lifestyle. So I want to help you in this message to understand the definitions of the terminology used out in the common culture so we can be knowledgeable when in conversation with people about these issues. I also want us to realize that silencing what God says about what he says about gender, sexual orientation, and marriage, and the penalties involved for those who speak out God's message from his word. Why do we share this message today? Well, we're going to talk in a moment in detail about what's going on in Canada, but what's going on there is coming here to the United States very soon about the issue of sharing publicly God's view on sexual orientation, gender identity issues, and the ability to turn away from that to follow God's design of celibacy and marriage as God designed it. Pastor Brian Bill of Edgewood shared this information with me, and pastors all over America today are speaking out against legislation social media and culture pressure to accept all aspects of the LBGTQ plus movement. So we're preaching this today to support and show solidarity for the pastors in Canada who are facing uh, all kinds of persecutions and threats on a variety of issues, but now front and center, the threat of prosecution for preaching God's word. Pastors all over America have been asked on this Sunday to speak on this very important issue. So many people's lives and families have been hurt by people searching for fulfillment through experimenting and changing their body to another sex to find purpose and peace in their lives. So many are hurting other people by their promotion and indoctrination of false teachings of sexual orientation and gender identity from the world's point of view. And because of this false teaching, many are going to a Christless eternity. 
Here's the issue from a letter sent to Pastor John MacArthur, Grace Community Church in California, by Andrew D. Bartolo, who's a teaching elder at Encounter Church in Canada. And I'm going to read this, and then you'll see some of the law itself come up on the screen. But the key thing is Bill C-4 passed through the House and the Senate of the National Legislative Process in Canada without opposition, not one dissenting vote. Not one dissenting vote, it says, was cast by any member of the Conservative Party. It received royal assent on December 8th of 2021, which means it went into law on January 8th, 2022, just a few days ago. The bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. It will criminalize, among other things, you'll see this on the screen, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. In the preamble of the bill, it says that the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. In other words, according to Canadian law, this pastor says on January 8, 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth by the National Legislature of Canada. The bill defines conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. You're not allowed to steer people back to, you know, say that you should identify as you were born, the sex you were born with. The definition is intentionally broad, the pastor says, and it can clearly be used against any preacher or elder who either speaks against homosexuality, transgenderism, or who counsels a person to obey Christ and abandon their homosexual, transgender actions and lifestyle. This means that just a few days ago, January 8th, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. Here are the penalties for talking about conversion therapy and encouraging that. Everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Similarly, everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and is liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years. Now, I dug a little deeper, and as I looked at the, the Gospel Coalition website and Albert Moeller, we want to be clear that it's not saying, at least clearly in this bill, that they can't speak against those things, but a person coming to a pastor for counseling and he tries to steer them back to God's design of uh, gender identity and sexual orientation, then they are possible, face possible prosecution. But it says in, in a, a letter by Reverend Paul Clark, as such it remains unclear to parents, pastors, counselors, and mentors how these terms ought to be understood. 
Assurances by lawmakers have been provided to constituents that the bill only seeks to criminalize coercive efforts and coercive practices, treatments and services, and that it would not apply to a person who sought out a pastor or mentor for help to live a chaste sexual lifestyle or live in alignment with their biological sex. Here's the key word, however, or it's key sentence. However, no such assurances appear in the language of the actual bill. And he goes on to say that it's really going to be left up to the courts to decide whether pastors will face these offenses and these penalties as well. John MacArthur said this, about this letter, he said, our calling as gospel ministers is to preach the truth, confront sin and call all men to repentance and obedience to the gospel, the good news that achieves soul conversion and saves sinners from eternal wrath. So it's hard for us sometimes to quantify um, all the people in this thing of the LBGTQ plus community. There are a group of people within that community of lifestyle and beliefs that are militant, they're activists, and they are trying to change the laws and uh, bend social media and, and sitcoms and all these things to show that this is a normalized lifestyle which God calls as sin. Then there are those who are living out these various lifestyles who are not activists, who want to live their lives and blend into society and be treated with dignity and respect. And so that makes it difficult for Christians on several fronts. When it becomes someone in our family, does following God's word and speaking the truth and love go on, or do we give in to the family members in support of their lifestyle? How do we teach young people who are facing indoctrination and the normalization of these lifestyles probably more than adults? How do we share with them why God's design for gender, sexual orientation is best and what that design that God made and the purpose of it, the purpose of it. At the same time, how do we show compassion and love to those living out these lifestyles so they get the opportunity to hear the truth from the gospel and God's word? So we have to stand for the truth now because the same thing pastors in Canada are facing or coming here to our country, to our state, and to our very church. As I alluded to in my prayer, and maybe you saw in the news this week, just to take a little detour, we think about things not really coming to our area, but you probably heard about the Jane Addams School, elementary school in Moline, where they're bringing in a satanic club because they have a good news club or a Bible club after school. And since the Satanist church is uh, seen by our government as a religious entity, they have the right to do that. And that's causing a great controversy over there in Moline. But that's been on the national news this week. So I, I encourage you, as we think about these things, they may not directly affect us today, but I guarantee you they're coming our way very soon. So we have to lovingly and carefully and respectfully stand for the truth. Otherwise, God's word and God's message will be compromised or silenced. The SOGI issue, which is sexual orientation, gender identity, I'll referred to as soji, is probably going to be the number one issue that Satan's going to use to attack the church, to go after tax exemption status, to go after pastor's housing allowance, possibly, or to limit the church's influence out in the community, or even extremely to bring indictments, lawsuits, and arrests in the near future. Take your Bible as we look at a scripture reading today. 
We're going to look at actually three scripture readings today for this section. But we'll begin in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 28, as we kind of do an appendix to Christmas here. A little add-on story that we often don't talk about at Christmas time. That Jesus, eight days after he was born, they took Jesus to the temple and there Simeon and Anna were. And we read these words in Luke 2, but we're going to focus in on Simeon's words. The priest, as he dedicated Jesus and the parents to the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, verse 28, he, Simeon, took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed, notice what he said, for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And he said to Mary, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Talking about when he would have to die on the cross so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus came to reveal the truth. And when light comes to darkness... And it's revealed people have a choice. Are they going to embrace the truth that Jesus brings? Or are they going to reject what he has to say? And that's who Jesus was. He was the one, and we'll see specifically a little bit, that he speaks the truth in this area. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I read that and say that our degree of love and our commitment to Christ, our surrender to him, should even surpass the love that we have for our family. This issue of LBGTQ plus has divided many Christian families. It caused many to compromise. As I've told you, there's two pastors that I'm friends with that I'm watching walk away and walk into embracing these things. I want you to take your Bible and look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Why do we speak to this? Why do we look to these issues? Paul admonished or met with the Ephesian elders and for the last time, and he had these words to say as he concluded his time with them. It says that they wept bitterly because they knew they would never see each other, Paul and the Ephesian elders, ever again in this life. And Paul said these words as parting words as he was about to move on. He says in Acts 20, 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. I've shared the gospel openly. Here's the key, verse 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So personally, as a minister of the gospel, I am to declare the message of God, his truths that will bring blessing and prosperity by all who obey its teaching. This issue is a very sticky widget. The church at large has not responded well to this issue, and we've alienated many people from a relationship with God by our actions and our words. That's why we start at the foundation. We need to understand what God says about these issues and why it's so important. So the first thing on your outline here is that why understanding 
what God's word says about sexual orientation and gender identity is so important. And again, I use that acronym, SOGI, that's often used in our Christian circles. Number one, to be informed about how this is affecting the culture, families, government, the church, and individuals. How many of you in this room have been touched with somebody in your life or somebody you know who's involved in the LBGTQ plus community? Yeah. And so we are seeing this more and more. And the article that I have out there for you, it says 0.5%, maybe as many as 1% of our population here in America are involved in this lifestyle. So we need to be informed. Researchers at the Williams Institute, a sexual orientation and gender identity think tank at UCLA School of Law, found that 30% of lesbian, gay, and bisexual respondents ages 18 to 25 report at least one suicide attempt compared to 24% of those 34 to 41 and 21% of those 52 to 59. The rate of suicide attempt and suicides is almost 50% in many of these homosexual or transgender communities. Number two, to be able to engage with our children and grandchildren with understanding on these subjects in order to listen and share God's perspective, to engage. We gotta be proactive as parents, as grandparents, speaking to these issues, not assuming that they're hearing the biblical teaching on these things. That's why I encourage you to read that article. I'll just reference it one more time. It's a very balanced approach, and I'll make sure we have part two here next week as uh, he can, this person continues on sharing about this issue. Number three, to speak out from God's perspective when our culture wants to normalize what God says is sin. Silence is not an option anymore. This week, John Stone Street in a breakpoint commentary saying marriage is real. He describes the difference between a social construct and the difference between reality. And he uses the example of a speed limit sign and gravity. He says this way of thinking imagines something previously considered fixed, like marriage, as a speed limit instead of gravity, which is reality. A speed limit is a social construct, something relatively arbitrary, invented as a means to live our lives together. If something changes, such as an improvement in breaking technology, or houses being built in the neighborhood, or a speed bump put up, a speed limit can be altered with relatively minor effort. But gravity, however, is not a social construct. It's built into the fabric of reality. It cannot be changed or altered. A speed limit might be broken without consequence as long as you don't get caught, but gravity won't be. And then he goes on to say, in so many ways from no, default, no fault divorce to the teaching of brave divorce in our culture to calling same-sex relationships marriage, we treat marriage like a speed limit, but it's not. Marriage is like gravity. A society constantly reimagining marriage and law will categorize, categorize its citizens or instruct them to do the same. Up becomes down, he says. Leaving becomes brave. What I want becomes right, even if it's not. That's what we're up against. There's a poem by Martin Niemöller, who is a German Protestant pastor. In 1892 to 1994, he went through the Holocaust. He said, they came for the communists and I didn't object, for I wasn't a communist. They came for the socialists and I didn't object, for I wasn't a socialist. 
They came for the labor, labor leaders, and I didn't object, for I wasn't a labor leader. They came for the Jews, and I didn't object, for I wasn't a Jew. But they came for me, and there was no one left to object. There was no one left to object. Number four, to stand against the silencing of God's word about sexual orientation and gender identity. I've used this quote numerous times, but I just think it's a good reminder. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor during the you know, World War II, fighting against Adolf Hitler's view of the Jews, he says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Remember that Edmund Burke, it's attributed to him that he said that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Number five, to share with those who are confused about their sexual orientation and gender identity that their purpose and peace is found in Christ alone. That's our ultimate goal as Christ followers in the church. Sin is sin. And this issue that we're talking about as the area of sin is no worse than the sin of adultery. It's no worse than tax evasion. It's no worse than stealing gum from a store. And we could fill in the blank with many more examples. But, and this is a big but, if you read through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God, some, for, for some reason, and we will explain why, has a more severe discipline, more severe punishment for those who go contrary to God's design for sexuality. So here's the application. We need to walk the messy road of grace and truth with those who are confused about their identity with love and allow God's word and the Holy Spirit to do their work. It's not up to us to persuade, but we can be the messenger. We can be uh, the source. We can allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us and display, as we'll talk about next week, how Jesus used grace and truth. He was perfect. He was balanced in those things. And so as we approach this very important subject, we have to have that same approach of grace and truth to draw them to the Savior. The next thing on your outline, what are the definitions and descriptions our culture uses for sexual orientation and gender identity? I put them in there so you have them. But let me read them very quickly. The LBGTQ plus equals lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, queer, and that's what the acronym stands for. The plus means more to come or a combination of the other descriptors. Queer is an umbrella term for sexual and gender minorities who are not heterosexual or are not cisgender. What's cisgender? Well, as a term for people whose gender identity matches the sex that they were assigned at birth. It is the opposite of the word transgender. Transgender people have a gender identity or gender expression that differs from their sex assigned at birth. Some transgender people who desire medical assistance to transition from one sex to another, identify as transsexual. Gender confusion is a non-clinical term that refers to an individual's feeling of not identifying with his or her assigned gender. Gender dysphoria is the condition of feeling one's emotional and psychological identity as male or female to be opposite to one's biological sex. And gender fluid or fluidity, you'll hear, denoting or relating to a person who does not identify themselves as having a fixed gender, that it could change. That's why Facebook here in the United States, I believe it's up to 56 choices that you can make about your sexual identity, your gender identity, your sexual orientation. Now that we gave you just a few definitions concerning this issue, 
We go to the scriptures. And again, I don't want to be simplistic about this issue. We could spend a whole lot of messages on this. There are many, many scriptures and vantage points to consider. This is a complex issue, but here are some foundational principles from which a discussion could be had about God's view of gender identity and sexual orientation. First of all, God's design for gender choices and sexuality began at creation. God created gender and sexual identity as male and female, period. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us, speaking of the Trinity, probably, it's in the plural, we make that assumption that it's the Trinity, but he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. And here's the key, male and female, he created them. Jesus supported and agreed with that statement so much that he repeated it. In Mark chapter 10, he says, but from the beginning, Jesus said of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So there's no gender confusion or gender fluidity as far as God is concerned. Your gender and sexuality were determined at your birth. Matthew Vines and other people who are saying they are born-again Christians but practicing homosexuals do all kinds of interpretive gymnastics to support their view that as long as two people of the same sex are monogamous and are certified by the state marriage relationship, it's the same in God's eyes of heterosexual people certified by the state living in a monogamous relationship. The problem is that they're moving away from historical orthodoxy, proper methods of interpreting the Bible that have stood for nearly 2,000 years of church history and are throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They desire to be relevant and accepted, which is the end goal of those who try to stretch the Bible to be inclusive of the LBGTQ plus lifestyle. They have to give up on the inerrancy and infallibility of scripture and the literal interpretation of it. So my view is that the acceptance by the culture and its new norms is more important to these people who say they're born again and want to embrace this. They're more interested in being accepted by the culture than following proper biblical hermeneutics or glorifying and honoring God as he says in his word. The next point there is that God created the concept of sexual intimacy in Genesis 1.28. First of all, he says between one man and one woman. That's where the physical part of the relationship belongs. It says in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, not every couple is going to have children, and that's okay. But one of the purposes of marriage is procreation. There's several others, but we'll focus on that one. And so God says, be fruitful and increase in number. God created the joy that's found in sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in the bounds of holy matrimony. We see that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The point there between one man and one woman inside the beauty and security of holy matrimony. Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all 
and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So the marriage bed is to be held in highest esteem and honor because it is the design that God has for intimacy here on planet Earth. The sharing of two souls together, a monogamous relationship blessed by God. It's the most intimate picture of the relationship with the believer and Christ, a husband who is faithful to his one and only wife. It's a picture of our relationship with Christ and our uh, relationship with him as Savior and Lord of our life. Just as we're not to commit adultery in the physical life and break the marriage bonds and be involved with someone outside the marriage relationship, God says if we follow idols with our relationship with him, we are committing adultery with him. So most surveys you look at that talk about sexual intimacy, they say that it's more satisfying time after time after time. Sexual intimacy is found best within the marriage relationship. Study after study confirms that. One of them says 96% of respondents said being emotionally connected results in the best sexual experiences. Since marriage is God's design to be fully connected to your spouse, this study supports marriage as a place to be most connected on all levels. See, there's a commitment in that marriage relationship versus living together with the idea that there's a possible way out. Not only was sexual activity associated with same-day sexual satisfaction, but also the researchers found that a single act of physical intimacy produced an afterglow that persisted for up to two days, building that emotional bond together. And then the next point, between one man and one woman to live out the gospel before their family, their church, and their community. To live out is the blank. Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 25. A very familiar passage of scripture. But what I like about this is it intertwines the picture of marriage, husband and wife, one man, one woman for one lifetime, with the relationship that the believer has as a mystery with Christ. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Skip down to verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, Paul says, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, the relationship of the believer with Christ. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As we are married, as Christians, as believers, as we're committed to our spouse, and living that out in front of our children, in our workplace, in our community, It's one way that we can show the picture of the gospel to the people around us. And then the next point that's very important is that God stays true to his word even as culture changes its morality. God stays true to his word even as culture changes its morality. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was writing to young Timothy. These are some of the very last words that Paul wrote 
before he was beheaded, some believe it was Nero that, that gave the orders to execute him. And he said this in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, when it's popular and when it's not popular by the culture. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry by carrying out the whole counsel of God. Here's our application. We must understand, we must understand as Christ followers why God designed gender and sexuality the way he did and for what purpose. And we're going to just quickly wind this down. We won't finish this last point until next week. But the last point is so important. How we respond to those trapped in this area of sin in their life can affect where they spend eternity and their openness for God working in their lives. We have to build a bridge. We have to be open, much like the prodigal son's father was waiting for his son. We have to share and speak the truth in love, but also with balance grace and truth together. And so what should be a Christ-honoring response to those who are struggling personally with this issue? And we'll finish this next week. But first of all, any sexual intimacy outside of God's design is considered sin and a perversion of his intent. You can look at a lot of scriptures, but when I talked to my son, I, I zeroed in on this one, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, which means seeking holiness, becoming more like Christ. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That word there, sexual immorality, is one word in the Greek, pornea, where we get our word pornography. That's describing any sex outside of the relationship that God intended, outside of a monogamous marriage relationship with one man, one woman, married together and for one lifetime. So we're going to focus on homosexuality and same-sex marriage for now, and there's a lot of importance to talk about the whole range of gender and sexual choices, but time doesn't permit. I want to be clear that homosexuality, based on what God says in his word, is sin. It's a perversion of his design. And the act or acts of carrying out the desires in a physical way that are in a person's heart towards someone of the same sex is not permitted anywhere in Scripture. The gay community who wants their lifestyles accepted by the church point to seven particular sections of Scripture and work hard to reinterpret them to support their lifestyle. There's so much discussion going on in the evangelical and mainline Protestant world right now about how LBGTQ plus people should be treated in the Christian community. Bible-believing churches and liberal churches and numerous differing opinions. Christ Family Church, it's over here on Utica Ridge, right across from Trinity Hospital, in just the last few weeks have left the Reformed Church of America over this issue and moved into the Alliance of Reformed Churches, which when this gentleman was sharing that with me shocked me because that's a very conservative group that's been so grounded for years in the inerrancy and uh, the truths of God's word and stood strong on this issue. 
Asbury Methodist Church right here in Bettendorf. The Methodist Church is in the process of becoming two denominations over this issue. If you want more information, I'd be glad to steer you to some websites and articles if interested. But let's look quickly at what the Bible says about homosexuality from one or two sections of Scripture. In Leviticus 18.22, do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man is with a woman. It is a detestable sin. And one that you're probably very familiar with in Romans chapter 1, Paul wrote, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with a woman, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. So there's no wiggle room for monogamous marriage for people of the same sex or the idea of a person who is gender confused to be approved by God. How does God want to help and minister to those who have same sex attraction and how are we to respond? We start by recognizing it as sin and we deal with it from that perspective first. These answers and suggestions are very simplistic, I know, but it offers pathways back to God while we have conversations with people who are involved in this lifestyle and are struggling uh, as they consider getting into it. Rick Warren said this in a tweet this week. He's the pastor of Saddleback Community Church in California. He says, I don't have to be anti-men to be pro-woman. I don't have to be anti-white to be pro-black. I don't have to be anti-truth to be pro-grace. I don't have to be anti-others to be pro-Jesus. Jesus was full of grace and truth. I need both in my life today. And that's where we need to wrestle with and land with that tension in our lives as well. Here's our application as we close today. We must be respectful and accepting of people's lifestyles that are contrary to God's design, but not affirming with the balance of grace and truth. The two blanks, lifestyles and affirming. We have to be respectful. We have to be accepting that people are making these choices. They're contrary to God's design, but not affirm them by speaking the truth in love and showing grace and truth. Here's our key thoughts. Every Christ follower must understand God's view of sexuality to communicate it to the culture around us with grace and truth. Second of all, God's view is the blank there, those two blanks. We must, we must make careful, informed, and compassionate responses to those who are dealing with gender and sexuality choices outside of God's design. That's the balance. We have to love them. We have to engage them. We have to accept that this is where they are and who they are. But we lovingly point them with grace and truth to Christ and the gospel that can transform, that can do we can, what we cannot do for them to find the purpose and peace that they're so looking for. I encourage you to look at those questions this week. And as we go today, I pray that we would uh, wrestle with these things, think about them, and think about those around us who are dealing with these things, either involved in it or kind of on the fringes looking into it. We can speak into their lives the truth from Christ. Let's pray. Father, 
We dealt with a very important and a very complex subject in a short amount of time. We've probably caused more questions than we've given answers today, but we've looked at the truth of your word. Lord, help us to hold on to that. <clears throat> help us to be faithful to it. Lord, we can think 50, 60 years ago, some of these things were never really discussed in, in, in public. And here we are today, and some of us who are older wonder, do we even need to really be aware of these things? But Lord, there's a whole host of people that need Jesus. And may we be the hands and feet and the voice to those folks by understanding it, by engaging with them, by sharing with grace and truth your love so that they too will have the opportunity to figure out who they are in Christ and, and the purpose that you've created them for and to be able to live that out with peace in their lives. Help us to give them that opportunity by sharing these truths with them. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.